Welcome to the Mount Pisgah Student Life Podcast, where we will talk about all that God is doing right here in our ministry. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. Recently, we've been praying a lot um, over the spaces that we've been worshiping in and receiving your word in, Lord. And so I just pray over this space, Lord, um, that the Spirit would fill every corner, would fill every heart in the room, Lord. I pray that my words would not be mine, would be yours. Anything not from Scripture would be stricken from our memories, Lord, and that you would really give me the power to um, step out of the way um, so that that, this message could um, be truly from you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Great. Okay, so we're kind of just going to jump straight into it. Um, I am reading. Hold on. Is Peter back there? No, he's not. From the CSB version, which is kind of like the NIV, but just because it doesn't match, that would be why. Um, and we're going to start in chapter 12. We're going to go through verses 29 through 37, and we're going to skip a couple in there, but that's like the gist of it. So starting in verse 22, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. So um, him being Jesus and the people who brought the demon-possessed man, is that me? would be um, the Pharisees probably. He healed him so that the man could speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, this could be the son, could this be the son of David? So the son of David is basically just another word for like Jesus, Messiah, that kind of thing. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul the ruler of the demons. So Beelzebul is basically just like another word for Satan, um, ruler of the demons, Lucifer, all of those things. Um, Basically, this is just another name for him. So we see in verses 22 um, and 24, kind of like the context behind this, the Pharisees like knew a ton about scripture, right? So they were kind of like higher up in like the social class situation. They knew a lot about scripture, but they were historically blind to Jesus being right in front of them, historically blind to like what the scripture actually meant, to actually like being full of the spirit, um, things of that sort. So they kind of knew a lot. Um, And then Jesus, you know, historically in tons of stories in the Bible would come up and basically be like, you're wrong because of this, that, and the other. And this is exactly the same. So the Pharisees, part of their job, one of the things that they did quite often, that's not spoken about a ton in the Bible, but it is talked about, is they would basically, like, perform these, like, not exorcisms, but, like, that's the vibe to basically free people of being possessed by demons. So people would be, like, of Satan, of the devil, whatever, and they would be possessed by demons. Um, And part of the Pharisees' job was to, like, free them of that. And um, this man that they brought to Jesus um, was possessed by a demon, but he was kind of like, you know, He was pretty, like, it was not looking great. Like, the Pharisees really couldn't do much about it. Um, He was very much possessed and was, like, going down a dark path, and, like, it wasn't looking like the Pharisees were going to do anything. So they decided that they were going to bring this man to Jesus because they didn't think that Jesus could heal him. And this was going to be their moment to be like, this man um, needs help, and you can't help him because, you know, you're just a man. You're not the Messiah or anything, as the Pharisees thought. 
Um, obviously, Jesus immediately healed him so that the man could speak and see, and the crowds were astonished and said, oh my gosh, could this be the Messiah? And the Pharisees immediately said, no, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Basically, the purpose of what the Pharisees are saying, they're saying the only reason that he can cast demons out of this man is because he's a demon himself, and they're like in cahoots. Like, Satan and Jesus are talking, and Satan is basically like, yeah, I've possessed this man, and like, we're kind of working together, so I'll make you look good and make it so that you can get the demon out of this man, basically. That's what they're saying. Verse 25 says, knowing their thoughts, and then immediately goes into what Jesus told them. This is something that I think is really cool because um, Satan, like, knows us very well but is not a mind reader. Um, God is omniscient, and Jesus knows every single thought in your head and everything that's going on. And so by saying knowing their thoughts, that is automatically, like, he is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the creator because he knows everything that's going on in your head and everything that's going on in the Pharisees' heads. It says, knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. This is like that famous quote. I think it was like Abe Lincoln or something. And every single time I read this, I think of, have you guys seen the Lego movie? Okay, so you know how there's like that one part where they are meeting in like the cat dome thing in the kitty cloud land. And it's all the master builders and they're in this like outdoor amphitheater and everyone's freaking out and they keep like panning around. It's like, um. It's like the Harlem Globetrotters and like LeBron James and I think like Jesus is there and they pan over, they pan over to Abe Lincoln and he goes, a house divided against itself. And um, that's like all I can think of. So I just had to put that out there. Otherwise, like he was just going to be playing in my head because I recently did watch that movie. Um, So he says, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction and no city or house divided against itself will not stand. So this is saying kingdom, city, house, this also includes like person, you being divided against yourself, which we're going to talk about later, will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. Jesus is saying, hey, you claim that I'm a demon and I am driving demons out of people. So if Satan's job is to not possess all of us, but is to be over all of us and to replace Jesus in our lives, Jesus is saying, it doesn't make any sense that I would be getting these demons out of, like, it wouldn't, it doesn't make any sense that I would kick this demon out of this man, because that would be working against my goal. And he says, a house divided against itself will not stand. He's saying, it doesn't make any sense that I'm a demon, because I just drove a demon out of this man. And so it doesn't make any sense that I would be doing something that was against my greater goal. He furthers that out. And in verse 27, he says, or 26, he said, if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself, then how will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? This is when Jesus takes it a step further, and he says, you claim to drive out demons, and you think the only reason I can drive out demons is because I'm Satan, so are you calling yourself of the devil also? Because you go around and say that you know all the scripture, and you know all the rules, and that you're like all high and mighty as a Pharisee. But if you're claiming the only reason I can drive out demons is because I'm Satan, are you calling yourself Satan? Then he says, for this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up a strong man? 
This is our like series is on questions that Jesus asked, and this is the question in this passage. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. In this metaphor, the house is earth, and the strong man is Satan. Jesus is saying, the only reason that I would be able to come into earth, which is Satan's house, and defeat him and defeat death and defeat sin and make all of these people whole again and all these people clean and all of these people give them all the opportunity to be one with me for the rest of our lives is if I was able to enter his house and tie him up. I wouldn't have the power to do this if Satan was roaming free. He's saying, because I have the power to do this, that means that I have already beat Satan. Because if he was out and about and I hadn't tied up the strong man, I could not rob from his house. I could not steal his people, Satan's people, from the earth. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. That's verse 30. Um, As we've learned a lot in parables, a lot of people in the Bible were farmers. They worked on livestock. They were like carpenters. They did stuff like that. And the reason that this is um, a farming analogy is because that's what the people would have understood. He said, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. So the with me and against me, that makes sense. Like, that would make sense to us. Anybody who is not for Jesus is against him. Anybody who does not stand against him must be for him. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. This is saying anybody who does not gather the harvest, anybody that does not help sow the seeds, anybody that does not help spread the good word scatters. Anybody who does not keep the livestock safe and watch them and love on them and keep them all protected and together scatters the livestock. There's no in-between is the point of this. That is what he's getting at is that there's no neutral ground. You cannot be a scatterer and a gatherer. You cannot be for Jesus and against Jesus. There's no middle. This is not a gray area part of the Bible. This is completely black and white. Now we're going to skip to verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is known by its fruit. This is saying exactly excuse me, what we were just saying before. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. You either gather or you scatter. You're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. No rotten tree produces good, edible, healthy fruit. And no healthy tree produces bad, poisonous fruit. There's no in-between. He then goes on to call them a brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? How can you pretend to be bearing good fruit when your trunk is evil? The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. He is saying that if you are a tree and your heart is what's truly going on, if your heart is your spirit, your innermost being, the true opinions that you have, the true relationship that you have with God, your true innermost thoughts, who you really are, is bad, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. The mouth speaks from the heart. There's no gray area. There's no part in the middle. There's no neutral ground. It's black and white. If you are a certain way on the inside, that's how it will be portrayed on the outside. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. I know a lot of times we talk about good people like 
volunteer and like love others and whatever. But in this sense, he's saying a good person is good as Jesus is good. A good person loves people like Jesus loves people and has patience like Jesus had patience and is kind like Jesus was kind and has all of these fruits of the spirit. And the only way that we can do that is with God. So this definition of God, of goodness, is the biblical definition. He's saying a good person, a person who is with Jesus, produces good things from his storeroom of good, from the inside, from his heart. When his heart is full of good things, those things are produced. An evil person, which is anybody else, anybody who does not have Jesus, not somebody who is like a murderer or like should be in jail or is like doing all these horrible things. An evil person is anybody who does not have Jesus inside of them. There's no gray area. You are either full of Jesus or you are full of the things of this world. And as we just talked about, the world is the house of the devil. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. An evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, which is maybe, the Bible is, this is gray area in the Bible, the day after you die and we all have a judgment day when God basically looks at our lives, you will have to account for every careless word that you speak. Everything that you say that is not from God, he will ask you about and you will be expected to answer for. And by your words, you will be acquitted. By your words, you will be condemned. This is saying that I know people of the world can be good on the inside and good on the outside. But people of the world can be bad on the inside and good on the outside. Like when your social media doesn't match how you're actually living. When you come to church on Sunday and then you spend your weekend doing everything that you should not be doing. One of my favorite examples of this, because I, it just annoys me so much, is, first of all, gossip is bad. You should not be gossiping. But when somebody is talking bad about somebody else to you and then goes around and becomes best friends with that person, that is something that I cannot stand because it's like, first of all, are you doing that about me? And second of all, that isn't your true heart. That isn't what's actually going on on the inside. And what's happening, what's coming out of your mouth should match what's coming from the inside. And I think that the point that this is saying and the reason that it adds, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to acquit for every careless word they speak. The reason that it's talking about how God will know is because we can be tricked. You can be bad on the inside and you can seem great to the world. But on the day of judgment, when you have a real relationship with God and when it comes time for you to go to heaven or to go to not heaven, he will know. He will know your true heart. He will know your true intentions. Like he can see the storeroom inside of you. And as terrifying as that is, we are given such a perfect opportunity to be truly good on the inside. We have such the opportunity to be full of the Spirit and to be full of hope and to display every fruit of the Spirit that he has given to us. The point of this passage is that what you're full of is what you give. Whatever you are full of on the inside is how you present to people and I know some people in this room are thinking, yeah, I know I do things that I shouldn't, but I'm nice and I'm loving and I'm kind and I try and be patient and I try and do everything that I can. And I'm here to tell you that it's not enough. It's not enough for you to fake it. It's not enough for it to come from a place of, oh, I'm a good person. The only thing that makes it enough is when it's coming from a place of you being full of the spirit and of you being pure of heart and of you having him in your heart because on the day of judgment he knows he knows what's happening and he knows what your storeroom is full of um one of my personal favorite personality traits is that I used to work at Marlowe's Tavern 
And we have this, Caroline is laughing at me. We have this um, like giant fridge in the back called a walk-in, okay? And I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's like a pretty nice restaurant. Like it's like clean and like everyone there is really nice and everything and like whatever. And then you go to the back and you're like, mm, obviously the people who are like paying this place like have not been back here before. Otherwise, bad. Because the walk-in fridge, girl, let me tell you, the, dark, the deep dark corners of that thing were like kind of nasty. And when I was thinking about this, I thought of the storeroom because over time, theoretically speaking, if that storeroom were to never be clean and it were to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier, all the food in there would spoil. The seal on the fridge would be broken, like everything would start to smell, like something bad would happen and it would make all the food spoil. So for a while, even though the storeroom is full of bad things, the production of the restaurant, the money that they're making, everything to the customers looks great. But after a while, the storeroom, everything in the storeroom will spoil and everything will go rotten. And then eventually the product that they make at the end won't be as good. Eventually, the storeroom will out them. They will be condemned by their words, is what this says. You will be acquitted by your words. They will be exposed, basically, is what this is saying. And I really want to say that every single one of us, me included, has the best intentions at heart that we want to have such a great relationship with God and that we want to be so full of the Spirit. But honestly, I don't know your heart. I don't know your heart. And I don't know what you're presenting to the world versus what's going on in the inside. But I do know that when that day comes, what matters is what's in your storeroom. What are you being full of? What are you prioritizing your time with? Even if it's just something little every single day, every single one of us is given such a great and honestly pretty easy opportunity to initially accept Jesus into our heart, to initially be full and initially be forgiven and be cleaned so that when that day comes and God asks us what we're truly full of and what's in our storeroom, the answer is him and the answer is that we've lived for him and the answer is that we've spent our whole lives spreading his word and loving him. And one of the questions whenever at camp, whenever we talk with our kids about anything demon-possessed, they're always like, what if I'm possessed by a demon, like right now? And they always just think that they're possessed with demons for some reason. And so I just wanted to address that. Um, demon possession now is something that happens in different ways than in the Bible when people were like literally possessed with demons. Like, yes, it can happen like that, but not completely. Also, if any part of you is full of the Spirit, there is absolutely no way that that is going to happen to you. It is not possible because Jesus and the devil cannot exist in the same space. So if you are full of the Spirit, again, there's no gray area. If you are full of the Spirit, you are not full of Satan. You are not his. You do not belong to the world. You belong to the kingdom. And so I just wanted to clear that up. The other thing is that we all have the opportunity to fill our storeroom with the best food. We all have the opportunity to be full of his love. And so if you're thinking, my past isn't helping me, I don't have the motivation, I don't have the want, I don't have to draw the drive, and if, even if you're just thinking, I can't, I don't have it in me, I am here to tell you that this congregation will support you. That according to this, every single one of us is given the opportunity to be a good tree and to bear good fruit. And the reason that Jesus came and the reason that Jesus died for each and every one of you is because he wants you. He is not voting that your storeroom is full of awful things. He is not 
waiting for you to die so that he can condemn you for everything that your storeroom will expose of you on judgment day. He wants every part of you to be clean and to be pure so that you can live the rest of your life with him. And so the last question I just have for you is what's in your storeroom and what are you doing it to make sure that it's full of good things? What are you prioritizing? What people are you hanging out with? What are you putting over God? What are you truly doing when you're spending time here? Are you sitting here and staring at the ceiling or are you actually putting in the effort? Are you actually engaging in worship? What are you trying to do to make sure that you are a good tree that produces good fruit? If you'll pray with me. Dear Lord, um, I thank you that you don't want us to be bad trees, that you don't want us to produce bad fruit. I thank you for being so willing to step in and to help us and to love us and for being so accessible and so incredibly there for us, Lord. I pray that anyone in this room, Lord, who is feeling like they are a bad tree or like they are producing bad fruit, Lord, that you would light a fire in them, that you would fill them with your spirit, with your love, Lord, with your kindness, with your gentleness, with your self-control, and that they would feel so held, so protected by you, and so aware of the fact that they have the opportunity to be a good tree, and that you want them to be a good tree, and you want them to live eternally in heaven with you. And it's in your name I pray, amen.